Morning. It's so good to be with you. My name is Jared Clary. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm excited. Baptism Sundays are my favorite. They're just my ultimate favorite. I love just being reminded of what Christ has done and seeing that played out in people's lives and just being reminded of what Christ did in my life and just the excitement of that, of of walking in obedience to him and remembering his goodness towards us. It's one of my favorite times. It's also one of my favorite Sundays that we get to talk about kids. This is Orphan Sunday, and so this is a Sunday that's recognized kind of within the, the church at large as an opportunity and a time where we just get to focus on what is God's heart for children. Normally, if you come and visit Norris Ferry, we're walking through books of the Bible, and so we start at the beginning and we just keep walking through. But what we're going to do today is we're just going to focus in on, on an aspect of God's heart for children. Now, I could stand up here and we could have played a video that would have guilted you and shamed you into getting out your wallet or giving money online or doing something that that would motivate you, but you would be motivated out of guilt and shame. And I don't want to do that today. I do want to motivate you, but my hope and desire is that I inspire you to action. That as we look at God's word and as we see what Christ has done for us, my hope and my prayer is that, that it will flow out. That because of Christ's actions to us, that we would then act on behalf of Christ to others. So let's pray and ask that the Lord would do that in us. Lord, as we open up your word, God, we ask that you would speak to us. God, that you would open our eyes and our ears that we might hear from you. God, that we might see you clearly. God, I ask that you would motivate us, that you would move us to action, to obedience to what your word says. God, and that it would be for the joy of bringing glory to you, that it would be for the joy of pointing others to you, that we would be motivated, Lord, that it wouldn't be out of guilt or shame or fear, but that it would be out of joy and thankfulness and gratitude that we would obey your commands. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you've got your Bible, then we're going to be in 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And what I want to do is I, I want to kind of begin to unpack this idea of, of this motivating force for us. As believers, there's a lot of commands in the scripture. There's a lot of things which Jesus calls us to do. There's a lot of things that God's word commands us to do. There's things that God's word commands us not to do. But in 1 John, John is writing what some would say is some of the most intimate letters that we see in the scripture. And he's writing these letters to these believers that he's walked with. And he uses these terms of endearment where he says, I'm writing to you, my children. I'm writing to you, my little children. And it's this, this 
language of love and affection that John is writing. And he wants what's best for them. But he's not writing these things. He's going to give a lot of commands throughout 1 John. A lot of things to do, a lot of things not to do. A lot of things to do, a lot of things not to do. And, and it's all of these commands. But it's really important because right here at the beginning, he sets up the foundation, the basis, the motivating engine for all of the obedience. And so for us, we're going to look at Christ's commands for us, but we've got to get this engine, this pump tank that will fuel all of our action and obedience. So let's read this passage in 1 John 2. John says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The first thing that I want us to see here is that, that Christ is our advocate. Look at what he says, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Okay, so he's saying, I don't want you to sin, but... If anyone does sin, that's my category. I don't know about you guys, but that's, that's where I fall. I don't want to sin, but gum, I always find myself wrong motivations, wrong actions, back in what I said I wouldn't do. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Christ is our advocate. What does this term advocate mean? Well, it, it means helper. It's a paraclete. A helper. We see this used in, in the Gospels where Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to the Father, but I'm sending the helper. Someone to come alongside of us. We have a helper to come alongside of us if we sin. Well, that's helpful. Because all of us sin. There's none righteous, no, not one. Each of us chases after our own ways. But God, in his grace towards us, in the midst of our mess, has sent us a helper, an advocate, someone who pleads our case, 
But what kind of advocate is he? He's our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. In the midst of our unrighteousness, he sent us one who is righteous. He's been there. He pleads our case. He advocates for us. Well, how in the world does that happen? It it lays out like a court scene that God the Father is setting as the judge and he's holy and he's righteous and he's sovereign. He's in control and he can't look at sin and just pretend it didn't happen. That's an unjust judge. That's a crooked judge who looks at sin and says, ah, I'll just turn my blind eye. A judge who turns a blind eye to a bribe or whatever, they're wicked and crooked. They're not just. But God our Father is just and sovereign and holy and righteous, and he does not turn a blind eye to sin. but yet we all sin. So we come to the courtroom and the judge is saying, you're guilty. And yet we have one who is righteous, standing for our defense. But how in the world can he plead our our innocence when we know that we're guilty? Verse two, he is the propitiation for our sins. Most of y'all were like, huh? I don't know what that word means. That's a big church word. And you're right. Propitiation. It means that he has atoned. He has appeased. He has fully satisfied, moved us from objects of wrath to objects of pleasure. That he is the propitiation for our sins, the just, full, complete, fully satisfied, it is finished payment. So he stands for us and says it's paid in full. Colossians says that he has taken our decree of debt and he has canceled it. The psalmist says that he has cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. That he has fully satisfied the wrath of God. The just wrath that should be poured out upon our sins. Jesus has stepped in as our helper, as our advocate for us because he fully satisfied it in himself when he went to the cross. Man, what an incredible picture. commentator said this, it's the unique status of Jesus as the atoning sacrifice for our sins that is the basis for his advocacy for sinners. Let me say that again. It's the unique status that Jesus himself atoned for the sins that makes him the perfect advocate for sinners because he knows our sin. He absorbed the wrath of each and every sin that you and I commit. 
Oh, he knows he can plead our case because he satisfied and paid for each one of them. What an advocate we have, right? This is like a parent who has paid every speeding ticket for their child and goes, oh, no, 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 judge. I know I paid that one. Who can stand up and say, no, I know it's paid because I paid it. Jesus is our advocate because he is our propitiation for our sins. But look at what it says. But not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John's writing this letter to these believers and he's saying, but it doesn't stop with you. It's for those outside those walls. It's for those that you interact with at work. This propitiation, this payment for sins, it's for those in your family who don't know that they've been forgiven if they'll just come to Christ. It's for those that are in the midst of darkness and despair. It's for those who are in the midst of sin in which Jesus is still saying, but come back to me, I choose you. Not for your sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, it's an understanding that that this gift, this good news is not just for us, but it's for the whole world. How wicked and evil of us if we just keep it to ourselves. How sad. What lack of love do we have for those outside if we just keep it for ourselves? It's for the sins of the whole world. See, but just like it was the unique status of Jesus to become our advocate because he had paid for the sins, it's also the unique status as rescued children of God that makes the basis for our unique advocacy for children. Let me say that again. This is the the pump engine that fuels everything. It's the unique status that Jesus has looked upon you when you had nothing to offer him and said, I want you and I'll plead your case to the Father. That when we've received that, when we know that, it gives us a unique status to then look at children and say, you're valuable. You've got nothing to offer me, but I'll fight for you. You're needy, and I can meet that need. You're hungry, and I can provide that food. You've got no one to stand up for you, but I will. Why? Because Christ has stood up for me. You see, to move us beyond just seeing Christ as our advocate to the sins of the whole world, it's Christ that has commissioned us then as advocates. The scriptures say that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That God makes his appeal to the world through us. He's given that to us. What a privilege. Because we understand it. 
Because we've been redeemed. Because we know his atonement. We now become ministers of that reconciliation that God makes his appeal through us. But let's see how this actually plays out in this text. Okay, so we see, verse 2, that he is our propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. Okay, so that's an external. John's beginning to move us, our eyes outward. Verse 3, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Okay, so there's this standard of knowing, are we really his? The way to measure that is, do you keep his commandments? Verse 4, whoever says, I know him, Jesus, Whoever says they know Jesus and the propitiation which he brings, but does not keep his commandments, that person's a liar because their mouth doesn't fit their actions. They're a liar. Okay, so we got the negative side of that, and the truth is not in him. But here's the positive side whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Okay, so there's, there's a movement from we've received this, so now it propels us forward to obedience. That we can't just receive it and pretend like, oh, cool. I'm unchanged. No, the receiving of that moves us. And how does it move us? It moves us to obedience. So what are the things which the, the word of God tells us to obey? Well, it's kind of wrapped up in here. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God is perfected. That we become the most loving people this world knows. The love of God is perfected. It means that we look like the love of God. But it keeps going. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Okay, how? Like, how do I know for sure, for sure, or for sure? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. If you say that you're connected, abiding, living, why would anyone say that? Because I know that if anyone sins, I have an advocate. Guess what? I live right there. I need Jesus every day. I have to abide right there. I have to live right there that he pleads my case. Okay, so whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. This term abiding, living, it's an agricultural term. It's a botany term. It's connected. John uses it earlier in the Gospels where, where he's like, those who abide bear much fruit. That you're connected and therefore there's an, an outworking of obedience. But he says, if you abide, then you ought to walk in the same way he walked. How did Jesus walk? Left, right, left, right. Well, of course that's how he walked. How else do you walk? No, no, no. How did he walk? How did he live? He lived in such a way seeking out those who were marginalized, those whose society cast out, and loving them. I mean, you just read the Gospels and constantly you're seeing like, man, Jesus was seeing needs and he was meeting needs. He was healing people. 
He was restoring dignity to those who society said, we're done with you. He was bestowing value upon those which everyone else was like, ah, get these people away. Get these kids away. And he's like, no, no, no. Let the little children come to me. Value there. You may not see it, but I've given it. He walked in such a way that people were drawn to him. People wanted to be by him. Why? Some of them because of the miracles. But others fought through the crowd just to touch him because they knew that there was hope there. Do your coworkers want to be around you because of the hope which just exudes out of you? Man, that'll step on some toes. Do you walk as Jesus walked? Is the love of God being perfected in you as you abide in him? If we have received the pump engine of the gospel, then it can't help but flow out. We ought to walk as he walked. Okay, but... But did Jesus just meet every physical need and every practical need that he saw? No, he didn't. He didn't do that. Why not? Because he sought to meet the spiritual needs as well. Anytime we see Jesus walking and doing miracles and doing all of these different things, then we see that it's not just meeting physical needs. That there's something beyond that. So, so we see that Christ has been our advocate, and then we see that, that Christ commissions us to be advocates and sends us out. But then lastly, we see that, that the advocacy that we bring is to point others to know Christ as their advocate. We want to live in such a way and, and champion and advocate for children in such a way that they might know him. There's many organizations that encourage and protect vulnerable children. And that's the end goal. And guess what? That's great. Thank God for them. There's actually people that don't even know God who are doing God's work. You know why? Because he's sovereign. We've been reading about it in Samuel. That God is working through these things to protect and care for children. But as believers, that's not our end goal. Our end goal is that they might know Christ as their advocate. There's organizations here in Shreveport like Roy's Kids and Community Renewal and Shop with a Cop and the Care Pregnancy Center and Young Life and Foster Care and The Hub and The Rescue Mission and Carlos Haven and Heart of Hope. Incredible organizations. And I want to encourage you to get involved. They're doing good work to encourage and protect vulnerable children. But if it's just getting involved to be involved so that you feel better about yourself, that's not going to motivate you long term. 
But what will motivate you long term is to dig deep and draw from the well of Christ being your advocate. And that's fueling you to walk as he walked and to meet physical needs and to meet spiritual needs for those who have no one to. I want to invite my friend Angie Johnson up. She's back in town from Panama. And her and Matt and the family live in Panama, but they work with an organization called Global Fingerprints. And you may have heard about it before. It's a, it's a child sponsorship program. And last year, we sponsored around 50 kids, right? And this is an incredible opportunity for us as a church to be involved at what, what God is doing in being an advocate for children because Christ has been our advocate. And so I just want her to share. We've been, we've been chatting, and she shared some just awesome stuff. And I was like, man stories, it's incredible, of how meeting physical and spiritual needs is a direct tie when it's fueled by the gospel to meeting spiritual needs. And so, Angie, would you share just a a brief moment, what is the Global Fingerprints Program and and what is its purpose? So first of all, those of you who do know who Global Fingerprints is and are a part of that, I want to say thank you. Thank you for sponsoring a child. Global Fingerprints is a child sponsorship program that is the child sponsorship of Reach Global, the ministry that we are missionaries. When we first started, we had no idea that this is where the Lord would lead us, but it's just been a really incredible thing over the, the past few years to watch this program grow. So the mission of Global Fingerprints is to care for vulnerable children. Um, It's in Panama, but it's also in seven other countries as well. And so it is not a a small program. And, you know, when I was sitting back there listening to Jared talk about hope, um, these kids that we sponsor or y'all sponsor, the program sponsors, are some of the kids that have, if you go into those circumstances, it's hard to see hope. Um, And the idea of the child sponsorship program, of course, is to meet the physical needs. We're providing food, we're providing educational, we're providing medical needs. But the overall goal of Global Fingerprints is that these children can learn that they have hope in Christ. Um, They come from environments where they're mostly not valued. And so the idea is we work with the local church there in Panama, and through those volunteers in the local church, they go into the homes, and they are there to tell these kids, you know what, you are unique in Christ, and Christ loves you, and despite all other circumstances that none of us, most of us, can't even imagine living in, there is hope in Christ. And so that is the overall goal of the the program. Yeah, so you shared with me what a pastor said that, that... It obviously meets physical needs, but that Global Fingerprints isn't just a feeding program. No. What what was it that he said it is? So Pastor Moises is our new national partner at Global Fingerprints, and I loved the visual. He said, Global Fingerprints is a tool in my ministry outreach box. And it really is something that Panama has uniquely done is the pastors have chosen that only 20% of the kids can be within the existing church. 80% of the kids are children that are not churched in a typical even uh, 
what am I trying to say here? Protestant Evangelical there, Church. Protestant Evangelical Church, thanks. And so they want to use it as an outreach tool to bring families and children into the church, which is, that was a choice they made. A lot of programs do 50-50, but they said, no, we can use this as an access ministry. It gives us access to families that we would never have a reason to interact with otherwise. And so something super neat, we were um, at church with Pastor Moises um, a couple of weeks ago, and something that he kind of surprised us with is he started having the children and the families from the Global Fingerprints program um, stand up. And y'all, they were all over that church. And I'll tell you, I told him, I was like, you're not supposed to make me cry in the service. And he's like, well, you made me cry too. And it's just the Holy Spirit was present. And it was obvious to see that this program is not just feeding children, y'all. It is changing whole families' lives. And even there was a, a woman there and, you know, Pastor Tracy, I don't ever see you really doing this to someone. But basically, Pastor Moise said, Sister Nancy, it's good to see you back. You haven't been here for three or four years. She, he's like, she was in the church and she left. And she was like, mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, wow, this would not fly in the U.S. And so anyway, he went on to say, I want to tell you, welcome home. Welcome home, sister. And she was crying and she said, it's good to be home. And I was like, wow, that was just incredible to be part of. But I didn't know at that moment the reason she was sitting there was a direct result of Global Fingerprints. Because over the past year, her grandchildren had become part of the Global Fingerprints family. And something that happens is people from the local church go to those homes and visit, usually two times a month with those families. And in doing that, had formed a relationship with the mom and had continually to invite them to church. So the kids started coming to church, and then the mom started to come to church. And so since the grandkids and the you know, daughter were there, grandma decided to come back. And so that was her first Sunday back. And apparently after church, Pastor Moises told us that she came and she said, I'm home now and I won't leave. And so not only does it affect kids, y'all, it is making changes through all those generations. And I was just, you know, when you're doing ministry, you want to see fruit and we've been shaking that tree and nothing's been falling. And y'all, it just fell. And God just showed us the results of what's happening out there. So for those of you that are part thank you so much. You know, it says sponsor a child, transform a life. And that's happening in Panama. We are seeing lives transformed through this program. Yeah, it's so incredible that, uh, you know, as a church, we're an anchor church, which means that, that we've partnered with Reach Global in this specific area. And so the, the children that we're sponsoring are coming from this general vicinity, which is allowing the church to make an incredible impact into this community which is an unchurched community, um, into this area. And so it's really, you've said it before, it's, it's giving muscles to the church. Yep. That what we're doing and working with the local church there and local partners is, is giving muscles to the church to transform lives, to, take, to walk as Jesus walked in their community. And so what practically does it look like for us to sponsor a child? So child sponsorship is $35 a month is what it is. And you think, can that make a difference? Yes, it can. And it's amazing how our, the, the people who work that program are able to take that, those dollars and stretch them and make them make a difference. And something it is, is if you're coming to this program to be the hero, I encourage you not to join us. I know, I'm 
supposed to say that. But if you're coming in saying, I want to make the church the hero, like, come on, y'all. I mean, if you want to do something that makes a difference, this is something that makes a difference. Because by sponsoring these childs, you're empowering the local church and the pastor to minister to these families. So if you've been thinking, oh, I wonder how I can make a change, this is it. I mean, this is the way it's done, and it's super easy. We've got some computers out there. You can pick a kid. There's 14. Okay, I'm looking at a lot of faces. So I was back there praying while Jared was preaching, thinking, Lord, I want you to move 14 people's hearts because I would love to not go home with any of these cards, mainly because these are kids, y'all, that are in need. When Jared's talking about kids that need an advocate, I was just thinking, you know, I'm so glad that we have an advocate in Christ. And so I'm just asking you, if you want to be an advocate for these little faces, and make a difference in a life, like find us out there, just takes about five minutes. If you're like, I don't have time today, find me. I can make it happen in 30 seconds, and we'll follow up with you. So if the Lord's moving your heart to do this, find us out there. Thanks so much. Just a practical way to walk as Jesus walked. It's not the only way, but it's one of the ways in which you can be a part of what um, the gospel is doing, in not for our sins only, but for the, for the sins of the whole world. And so let me just encourage you that that's a great opportunity there. How I'd like to close this morning is I'd like to just lead us in a corporate time of prayer. So I've got three things here that I just want to encourage us with that that I'd love for you to spend just a moment in an attitude of prayer, worshiping God and reflecting on how Christ has been your advocate. Think about the way that while you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. Think about the way that Christ is always faithful to forgive you. Think about the reality that that Christ exchanged his filthy, your filthy rags for his cloak of righteousness. Think about the fact that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. It wasn't out of guilt or shame. But it was out of joy that it pleased him to make a people for himself. Think about the reality of what the psalmist says that, that God sings over you, that he takes pleasure in you. Think about the fact that he has called you his own. That you're an heir according to the throne. That all of the riches in the heavenly places are yours because of Christ. Now spend a season just thinking and praying about the needy and the vulnerable children in Shreveport and in Louisiana as a whole and in Panama. The children who who the world is screaming at them that they're not valuable. 
that they're a burden, that all they do is make mistakes and mess things up. And yet God has a different purpose and plan for them. Think about those in in circumstances that, that have trouble even finding hope because they can't find food. Pray that God would be gracious. And then in the midst of the the noisy shouts of the world that tell them they're not valuable, that they would hear God clearly. Now I want you to pray and ask God, where is it that you have influence and ability to be an advocate for children? Where is it that God has blessed you and yet now he calls you to obedience to walk as he walked? Where the unique status as a child of God becomes the basis for your advocacy for children. Just pose the question to God. God, I want to obey. Where would you have me obey? Lord, would you make us a people who walk as you walked? That wherever we go, people might see your love being perfected in us and be drawn to it that we would be passionate about the things you're passionate about. We would make an impact for the kingdom wherever we go. We ask that your kingdom would come and your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, if you're a guest, we're so glad that you were here with us. A couple different things. Just to get connected with us, just text NFCC guest. Um, to 97,000. That just starts the ball rolling. Um, we would just love to connect with you and to come alongside you and encourage you and see how we can, can help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we would love to do that. There are a couple of milestones that we have that are today. And so if you're a parent and you've somehow scooted by without getting an email or knowing about this, even if you're a guest, we would love for you to come to this. And so this is our way, our milestone map. You can talk about it in the information desk, but this is our way of coming alongside you as parents and saying, hey, we want to walk with you at these key points in your child's life and help you disciple them. And so those are going on today. And then also one last quick announcement, just make sure that you remember members meeting is coming up. And so we want you to be a part of members meeting coming up. You are dismissed. Thanks for being a part of our service this morning. So